So many books, so little time, as the t-shirts say, and often so little space. You are a mortal gentle reader, and you have little control over time and space for your books. How then do you both store and creatively feature and maybe even loan out the fantastical stories that you've collected? Lorehaven fans and staff creators have found many methods of doing this, and today we're going to share some of our techniques for building your own fantastical lending library. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory, applying their meanings to the real world Christ calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett. I publish lorehaven.com. I'm also the co-author of The Pop Culture Parents. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I'm my own librarian, and this is episode 117. Why should you build a fantastical lending library? And we have a very special guest on our episode today. Hi, I'm LG McCary. You can call me Laura. I'm the author of That Pale Host, which is a supernatural suspense story. And I am also the social media and Instagram coordinator for Lorehaven. Woohoo. Laura has featured on the podcast before. We had her back on last fall when That Pale Host released. She is now here in a reader capacity because we're going to talk about not just putting shelves together, uh, featuring some shelfies from many fantastical members of the Lorehaven community, uh, but also a topic in which Zach has been very interested, how to put together the library and make this a resource for your circle of friends and the wider community. Yeah, so we're... Uh... We're going to go beyond just, you know, how to arrange your bookshelves or what to buy from Ikea and like what to do with this. But we have had some really good shelfy pictures uh, from the Lorehaven Guild. And there's one I want to highlight. This is from Anne, the Bard of Brie. And I really like how she had a bookshelf that's like a hollow cube, I guess you could say, or it's like, it's not up against a wall. It's like a room divider. And so she took pictures of like the front and the back. And man, she's got some awesome books and a lot of like classic books and like really cool uh, hardback binding. I see some Sanderson. I see some Herbert. I see War and Peace, Jules Verne. I see some Enclave books. Man, just a great collection. But I just, I really like this idea of the bookshelf as sort of a, uh, as sort of a faux wall. Speaking of Enclave books, that's the perfect segue, Zach, for our first sponsor for this episode, which is Enclave Publishing. Just one week ago, as this episode drops, they released their new space opera novel, Shadow of Honor by Rony Kindig. That is book three in the series, and here is the plot description. Held captive, tortured by monsters of a nightmarish alien race, Marco Dusan clings to a final goal. Keep these beasts from the quadrants, even if it means orchestrating his own death. But his dreams betray that singular design. In them, his bonded calls to him across light years. Does he leave her to fight Simakia alone or risk bringing an unwinnable war to every planet in the quadrants? On board the alien dreadnought, Aija Zaktari flounders, torn amidst military machinations, prophecies, and an inexplicable bond with one of the fearsome creatures who have imprisoned her friends. Only by uncovering the truth about an ancient conflict now shrouded in deception will she find her place. Faced with her true identity, Aisha sees her purpose snap into focus, and she realizes the war Marco fears may be the very one he has been called to start. You can learn more information about Shadow of Honor from Ronan Kindig by going to our show notes for this episode 117. You can also find the purchase link for the book in the show notes or by going to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. 
Publishers Weekly reviewed book two, Dawn of Vengeance, by saying, quote, Kendig weaves suspenseful intergalactic intrigue in the entertaining second space opera. Ample chase scenes and sword fights create tension along the way. Series readers will be pleased, end quote. So, Laura, any favorite shelfie pictures that you saw in the guild? I loved Heidi Burke's. They were making me laugh because half of them were like these adorable, you know, there's the TARDIS and there's these very, you know, interspersed with lots of um, very nerdy stuff. But then there's also the corner ones where it's just a whole bunch of books thrown on the floor. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much how my kids' rooms look. And that just made me very happy. So right, just when you hit that point, you just kind of give up. You're like, well, I, I want more books, whether or not I have bookshelves. So there is no shelf. Yeah. Therefore, the, sh- the floor will be the shelf. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just redefine that. The floor identifies as a shelf in this case. But uh, yeah, thank you to all uh, heroes of the guild who who jumped in to share your shelfies. That was uh, really fun to see. So why are we talking about, you know, physical books? We live in the age of ebooks and audiobooks, And there's kind of a, there's a couple reasons we'll get into more in depth, but my goal I think about a lot is I want a library that outlasts me. Um, my grandfather had a really awesome library and I have several of his books now in my library. And one of which is, is made a huge impact on my spiritual life. The character of Jesus, a book written in 1908. So this was uh, carefully preserved by my first, my great grandfather, then my grandfather. And then my wife actually got it rebound uh, for my birthday. That was a really fun gift. Uh, but you know, as much as I love having Kindle's, yeah, you know, ebooks. There, there are some really severe limitations that that of that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And the nice thing about having a uh, physical library is you can turn it into a lending library. So we're gonna we're gonna get into that. But uh, Stephen, I know you've got some concession stand uh, hotcakes here or something, right? I do indeed. Uh, let's open up the concession stand, which ought to be alongside your shelves in your personal lending library. And by the way, Zach, I haven't posted my shots yet, my shelfies yet in the Lorehaven Guild, the exclusive uh, Discord community for free Lorehaven subscribers, by the way. But uh, when I do post them, you'll clearly see that it's not just bookshelves, but also display shelves. I mean, I've got, you know, kind of a shrine there for the DC movie universe back when that was good. I've got a Marvel shrine, (laughs) very informal use there, shrine, not an actual shrine. I don't know. Uh, I'm working on uh, kind of a favorite anime shelf, which has uh, several members of the Straw Hats as well as heroes for My Hero Academia. You know, a bunch of um, a bunch of collections there just alongside the books. So I guess that could be a concession stand item there is that, hey, we know that a lot of people don't just have rooms or even shelves devoted solely to books. Uh, you may have piles of something else on there or some kind of showcased uh, fantastical items. Like, that's what makes it fun. And I really think that stuff like that helps to transform your space. But this episode is not just about making a pretty shelf just for your own purpose. Uh, the lending library phrase really figures into here. So I look forward to going there in just a moment. Uh, we're also not trying to negate or ignore the role of the public library. In fact, we think that Christians should get more active and involved in the local library so much as we can there's some other folks trying to get involved there a christians be a positive influence in your community engage missionally if you dare uh, this is also about choosing a set of books you want to reread uh, really good ones that aren't just one and done you go back you read them maybe you are a highlighter of no. books physical books so <laughs> i'm not i'm not either sorry I can't write. I don't think I've ever written, ever. All these many long years, I've never written a physical copy of the book. Uh, The Kindle book, though, I will highlight that up like crazy. I will copy phrases. I have my little system for the colors and everything. 
But if you do highlight books or write in the margins, or you just want to keep them pristine, as is my want uh, to pass through to your family and share with others, uh, this will help. Uh, this is a, definitely a way to kind of formalize maybe impulses that you already feel, especially if you have books like Zach was talking about, which are indie, indie titles or uh, books that have been uh, hard to find, or maybe even books that have been canceled. And by the way, we're not talking about hoarding here either. Um, definitely get rid of books that aren't going to be useful to you, not just because it doesn't spark joy, uh, but maybe it needs to spark a worship of God. That's how Christians can Christianize that little phrase. You may need to get rid of some books. Um, I actually have, uh, I, haven't, I haven't said what's on the shelf, but I do have a bad book shelf, Ooh. by the way. It's in the lower corner. Uh, it's books that I'm, I don't enjoy as much or books that frankly just contain some heresy. So it's like a reverse Ebenezer. It's like, th th this is how, oh yeah, exactly. This is how Satan entered into yes. my life is do this book. <laughs> there is a terrific on, on this little corner of the bad books shelf. I don't think any of these books have been banned or fake banned as the uh, school libraries right. or booksellers would like you to believe. But no, these are books uh, like there's a, a, ter a terrifically terrible end times book from the early nineties pre left behind uh, that's on there. It's a, it's a, it's a book I love to hate <laughs> all due respect to the author who I'm sure meant well. I think I have my, the Da Vinci code down there. Uh, and, uh, I, I think I may have put the shack <laughs> in there. Like I'll, I'll do respect to any Orthodox impulses behind the manufacturing of the shack. But, uh, ultimately the author's name on the front, uh, is as of this point professing heresy. So goes on the bad bookshelf. Why don't I get rid of them for conversation pieces <laughs> like this one, but you may need to get rid of some books. <laughs> you know, it's just part of discernment. Uh, it's just part of, uh, being a good steward of your space. Uh, Zach, any other concessions, Laura, any other concessions before we move into chapter one here? No, I think let's just jump right in. So we're going to talk about why have a personal library, then, you know, how do you make it? And then what do you do with it? So our first chapter here is why have a personal library as in a physical book shelf or, or series of bookshelves, like, you know, in the age of eBooks and audiobooks, why even have physical books? And, and like you said, Stephen, since we have libraries, why have your own library? So a couple quick thoughts here, and then I want to hear from Laura, is you know, you said, Stephen, to glorify God. I, I think it very much can. And then to have books to pass on to the next generation in your family. I think that's the, the very next priority. And then lend to others, especially these books that have been canceled and pulled out of bookstores. Actually not, you know, actually pulled out of bookstores, not like fake you know, censored that they still sell to you, but taken off of Amazon, why, why not be the guardians of culture, you know, as Christians is kind of my, my thought there. Uh, but then as we'll talk about at the sort towards the end, you know, have books that you can lend to others, be it, be a resource to others. So Laura, what are kind of some of your high level thoughts here? Like why even own books? Oh man. Well, I'm a homeschooling mom. So I, and I have four kids who all do love reading. Um, they only two of them know how yet, but, um, they're, they love to read. And part of it is I'm not giving my kid a Kindle. Um, <laughs> when oh, you okay. have a child that wants to learn uh, and wants to read constantly, you need physical books. Um, I think it's, it's much safer for one thing, cause you never know with a Kindle what they might accidentally stumble on. Um, plus it's just better for comprehension. Um, there's some evidence that reading off of a screen that you don't retain as much as reading off of a piece of paper. And that's 
it's actually I'm I'm pretty low tech when it comes to teaching my kids in general for that reason. Um, I, I kind of like to keep most things a physical book. But the other thing is, there are so many books out there that are older and are really, really, really good, but they're impossible to find on digital media. Oh, as like you're not, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're never going to find. There, there's stuff that, I mean, there's, there's some that are slowly seeping into the free type stuff where you can get free copies because they're no longer um, in print. Yeah. Or whatever, or the rights have been, you know, uh, made open. But I have, man, I have so many books. I've, I will, I need to take shelfies so you guys can see. But my kids' book section alone has books that probably a good twenty-five percent of them are out of print, um, and that you won't, you won't be able to find them anywhere else except a used bookstore. So I, I just, I think you should retain. There's, there's really good books out there that are super old, but they're good books and you're not going to find them anywhere else. So you need to have a physical copy. Yeah. I'll give you a great example because uh, there was this uh, short story by Philip K. Dick I'd been hearing about for years and some uh, recent uh, Supreme Court headlines, I'll just say, made me think of this story. And I went to try to find it on Kindle or elsewhere and it was completely unavailable everywhere I looked for this book digitally because, again, it's a short story, so I didn't assume it's going to be a full book. Finally, I found it and it was in a, a physical, you know, book collection of his short stories. And see if you can uh, spot the, uh, the key phrase here for why this book was canceled. The, it starts off by saying, past the grove of cypress trees, Walter, he had been playing King of the Mountain, saw the white truck and he knew it for what it was. He thought that's the abortion truck. Come to take some kid in for a postpartum down at the abortion place. Whoa. me. Yeah. So this is a story that Philip K. Dick wrote in 1973, right after Roe v. Wade uh, was settled. And he wrote the, about this world where uh, kids could be aborted up until about age 12. And the, the dividing line that would keep a kid safe, basically, is that they could do algebra. <laughs> it was this really bizarre, like... Whoa. I, I'm, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind singer, of like, I'm office. kind of simplifying it, but... So it's about these kids that are just terrified all the time that their parents are just going to get rid of them legally through these uh, abortion centers of, you know, already born children. And so, and uh, basically they're, (laughs) they're called pre-persons. That's the name of the short story. Uh, Oh, wow. But yeah, so I, I had known for a long time about the story, but I had never read it and I could never find it until just recently. And now this is a book that's on my shelf. Because this is like a historical artifact in a sense, right? There was this uh, C.S. Lewis doodle that I watched on YouTube forever ago. And I thought, wow, that is a really cool essay that he's, and it was about, it was about um, C.S. Lewis responding to the Russians saying they went to space and, and they didn't see God. And he, it's this beautiful, eloquent um, discussion of how God doesn't relate to us like, like, like that. He is he wrote the the rules of the universe. And so we are seeing the evidence of him in the universe and it's beautifully written, impossible to find. Yeah. So hard to find my, a good friend of mine finally found a book and she found a rare book somewhere and it had that in there and she bought me a copy and sent it to me. And I have that, like that's very carefully put away because I do not want to lose that. And I know that it's, it's, it's already hard to find anyway but then you go and um, 
I, I want to be able to reference it. You know, I want to be able to pull it out and show it to people. So there, I was thinking about it a little bit too. There's an idea in, I believe it's mostly in classical education that you'll hear this, but there's the idea of the commonplace book. Have you ever heard of a commonplace book? Mm-hmm. So it's a that's something I've been wanting to implement, and I kind of already do anyway. But I, I just for myself, it's where you you use uh, as you are reading and you're doing your schoolwork and stuff, or just stuff you're interested in as an adult, you specifically write down uh, quotes and thoughts from books that you find interesting or helpful. And you can't, like I said, with a Kindle, that's pretty easy to highlight, you know. Yeah. But with a physical book, um, I don't, I'm one of those people, I don't want to destroy my books. I'm really careful with them. I don't even break the bind, like the spines. I'm very... It oh, bothers me that oh, people I would do that. Never. Um, no. That's <laughs> my a books thing? are my wow. children. Monsters. Um, <laughs> yes. You're all monsters. But uh, <laughs> but a commonplace book is a way to like you keep you have a book by your bedside and you have a commonplace book with it so that if you see you read something like that C.S. Lewis quote, you can write it down right there and then you have it okay, all so in basically place. a journal. And, and yeah, but it's specifically okay. for it's for not just book. anything. It's specifically for the different stories books you're reading and oh, the, okay. oh, for all and your ins- books. Okay. the insights that you're gaining from those things. So it's not just writing your ideas, it's writing other people's thoughts too. That's really cool. I, I did that um, when I was reading Dune last year. I, I did it digitally. I mean, cause I'm, my handwriting is so terrible. I was keeping like a log of quotes that I really like Cause I had a physical copy of Dune, but I wanted to like keep a log of quotes that I really like. But you know, besides like, um, canceled books or classic books. Another kind of book I've thought of that I think it's important for us to, uh, to preserve is memory hold books, you know, books that are kind of there, you can still find them. They haven't like been canceled necessarily, but they're kind of like being marginalized or they're being, you know, they're problematic or whatever. And, uh, man, I, I just got to tell you it, my, my fandom is star Wars and it, it, for me, it's these expanded universe books uh, from Star Wars that came out in the 90s. Uh, Kathy Tires has written a couple of those. Timothy's on. And so I've been buying these up at Half Price Books and elsewhere because I, I never read those as a kid. Uh, a lot of my friends did. But now with the, the uh, Disney Star Wars that I'm not too happy with, I'm like, I, I think I need to go back and, and experience the old Star Wars before it... Uh, went to the dark side. And so um, there are a lot of uh, books out there like this that are not even that old. (laughs) They're not even classic books, but because of the rate of change in our culture, they are considered like old fashioned or whatever. And so I, I think it's good to hang on to our past, even just our own like past, like not the distant past. Yeah. I actually have quite a few books that I kept from when I was a kid that um, some of them, are, they're not like great literature or whatever, but they are, they're really cool stories that almost nobody's heard of. And they just, because they're, there's something that nobody like, oh, well that's old fashioned. I'm not, we're going to, we're just going to get rid of that. And, but this is a really good book. There was, um, there's a lot of, well, I've noticed some resistance to a particular type of book, uh, where you have, there's a lot of British books where they, this you know, a kid finds themselves on this huge sprawling estate and discovers some kind of secret. There's a lot of British books like that. And there's sort of a, I don't know, I've noticed just a lot of people starting to say that that is, 
for various reasons, you know, it's white colonialism or whatever, oh, like just okay. weird, weird reasoning for why right. we shouldn't read books like that. And I'm like, but those are, those I'm going to read it even books. harder now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, these are really good books. I'm going to go a, Michael Scott on this. <laughs> there's, there's one, I'm trying to remember the name of it. There's a really good book um, that I read and it had the, the basic premise was that this girl discovers that some refugees from Lilliput from Gulliver's travels were living on the Island in the middle of her garden. Oh, that's fun. And yeah. And it was, um, I'm trying to remember. It's a book about a book. Loves it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Terry Pratchett loves that book. And I forget who else, like there, there were several other famous people who had read it and loved it. And, and it's, it's one of those books that kind of gets like, well, that's, we don't need that. I'm like, no, yes, we do. There, there's, there's cob, there's spider silk lace stuff. She gets a spider silk handkerchief. Like I want one. <laughs> so a few thoughts, uh, just going back over the last few minutes here, uh, Zach, you were talking about books that might get memory hold. And a couple of episodes ago, when we were going over the Lorehaven uh, statement of faith, uh, we yes. sent in the NIV for a bit of gentle roasting. It is all in good fun and affectionate and not just because, hey, it'd be great to have Zondervan also sponsor the podcast sometime. But uh, some of the verses we were reading, as you observed, Zach, uh, they sounded just a little bit different, you know, uh, almost like they spelled the word Berenstain in a different way. Like maybe there's some sort of, sort of Mandela effect going on. Uh, I think uh, the man of God became the servant of God, maybe equipped for every good work. And, you know, it's just a fact that translations will change. Uh, some people in charge of the translation will get the idea that, you know, we need to modernize the language a little bit and make sure nobody feels left out. And I get that, and I think we can respect that. But at the same time, just for the sake of your scripture memory, it's nice to have a physical copy then of the NIV, mm -hmm. of which I have several, uh, on the nonfiction side of my shelf. I mean, just in case the electronic version gets updated in a way that you know, may not be to your liking, or maybe something more sinister is going on uh, if it's a book that somebody is trying to cancel because they feel uh, that they need to clean up the content. Uh, sort of like a you know cultural fundamentalist would have done and you know, going through, I knew of some homeschool parents who would do this, you know, they'd go through the National Geographic magazine and then they would just take a uh, Sharpie to it and black out some content that they didn't like. And now it seems, oh, you know, some of our, um, uh, more uh, secularist uh, religious activists are getting into that act and physical books can preserve you from that. I, I think there's an impulse there too uh, that both of y'all mentioned. It is simply an impulse to respect the past. We are not, here's another Star Wars roast as well. We are not right. Kylo Ren saying, right. let the past die, kill it if you have to. And I don't even know yet whether The Last Jedi is actually trying to uh, show that he's wrong in saying that. Uh, because even The Last Jedi has Ray preserved the books, which <laughs> seems to me to maybe be a last minute change. I don't know what was going on there. But the point is, is that Christians are, have historically been people who respected literature. We respect reading and writing. It is literally how we got our gospel communicated to us by scribes and translators who had similar respect. And we've carried that respect historically into respect for other books, uh, other forms of literature certain actual book burning campaigns notwithstanding or book banning or any of those kinds of things generally christians have been people of books like even gutenberg and the printing press and all of that and we like physical media it's just it's what we do it's in our dna now real quick i wanted to ask both of you though to defend the uh, uh digital book format uh, just a little bit and hopefully not contradicting myself here um, I do like also reading on the the Kindle. Um, I don't have a dedicated Kindle reader, but when I'm uh, on my game, I can actually do pretty well just devoting time and being distraction free 
while reading a digital book uh, with the Kindle app on my phone. And for Lorehaven, I will tell you, we have to do this because we aren't able to accept physical copies of books from publishers or authors. Uh, the most convenient way is to just get them over the website sent to us, and then we give it to the best reviewer, uh, the reviewer that's most likely to enjoy the book. If, if they pick it up and we end yeah. up reviewing it, that increases the chances we're going to have a positive review. Uh, we can't do physical copies there. We have to do digital copies. So there is, I think, a place for that. But what I personally end up doing is kind of building in some resistance for myself. Like, yes, I got Dune um, over a digital copy, but I also got the uh, the audiobook at the same time uh, last year. I wanted to be able to switch back and forth. And frankly, there are some books that I own physical copies of and digital copies of because I like that. I like marking up the digital copy. I like copying the notes uh, like you are both talking about um, and just being able to copy quotes directly. I do like that advantage of the digital format. I certainly like it being searchable, uh, but there is just something to the physical copy. And I think it's also a measure of respect. If I like a digital version of a book, which is usually less expensive, mm -hmm. then I think I ought to want to go get the physical copy. And there have been several books that I've read in Lorehaven capacity where I got it digitally and then realized, nope, I want a physical copy of this too. So why not just accidentally support the author, not because it's a good thing to support authors, but because if it's a good story, you should naturally want to support that. Yeah, um, I'll take a stab at this. So I, I think, first of all, if you really like a story, it is a totally natural thing to have several editions of the story. I mean, because people do this with lots of things. People have lots of things on their shelves and they have multiple versions of this. So why, you know, why not books? And so... I've used the example before of Narnia. I have I have Narnia digitally. I have the audio CDs from Focus on the Family, which I've then put on my computer, turned into like digital audiobooks. Um, and then I've got the, uh, the the paperback set. I've been collecting the hardback set from the 80s or 90s or whenever that's from. Then I've got the single volume hardback uh, with just the black and white illustrations. And then I've got the full size, like 11 by 17 full color uh omnibus hardback uh because you know we love darnia so we we've got lots of versions of that but even just from some books i've personally owned that i some sci-fi books i started out with the kindle and then i got the physical book but here i i'm a huge kindle guy okay we we have probably 400 kindle titles and a lot of these were like you know dollar two dollar kindle books or whatever um what i like about the kindle is that so I am going to be a little different than Laura here. All of our kids, or at least all of our, all three of our girls have Kindles. And, and, I, and by that, I mean the actual Kindle e-reader, like not the tablet that can do the internet and games and all that kind of stuff, but just the e-reader. And I have uh, a number of parental controls on those devices. So they basically can only read what I allow them to read. Your kids are older than mine, though, aren't they? Yeah, like yeah, quite quite a bit older than mine. Because yeah. my, my oldest is eleven, so oh, okay, that's that's part of the other. That's part of the difference. Yeah, I have two older than that and one younger than that. But yeah, um, but you know, for going reason. on road trips, it's great. Um, or we we actually check uh, out Kindle books from the library, and that's that's nice. They can look up words, so if they're confused about a term, they can have that, and it sh it actually will show it kind of in line. Yep, that is handy. Yeah, and it's a great way, honestly, to find a lot of Realmy books like Realm Makers and other Christian authors. It's it's often a lot easier to get their books as ebooks, a lot more affordable, to be honest. Now, we've bought so many Kindles, I don't know <laughs> if it actually works out. Like, 
<laughs> with as many as we've bought. Um, I'll, I'll talk about some downsides to the Kindle in a minute, but uh, I, I've most of all had a really good experience owning these devices um, and just the just all the advantages of of ebooks. I I follow an, an e-reader website like daily. I I read about e-ink, you know, technology and news because I'm I'm fascinated by it just as a tech guy. We I have a Kindle. My husband has a Kindle. He doesn't use it much. He doesn't really like using an e-reader. Um, I use it primarily for um, either, well, there's two different reasons. I use it for either book research, like if I'm working on a story and I need to research something. Um, I, for example, there was um, a series I was working on about mermaids and I needed to know about sharks. And so I, the book I got from the library, I could search it so I could look up certain specific things. That was very hand, that's very handy rather than with a physical yeah. book, you kind of have to do a little bit more work and it makes it a little simpler to do that kind of research. But I also, um, I like to read a lot of random fiction <laughs> that just is not going to be easy to find. Um, and so some, I tend to pick up a lot of stuff on, from the library to read for fun. And so I use that, I use the Kindle for a lot of that just because it's a little easier for me to download it to my Kindle rather than having to drag my kids all the way to the library, go get the thing, you know, do whatever. Cause it's just, it's just an extra step. But I will say though, I have had one of my Kindle purchases memory hold. Um, I, I, yeah, I cannot remember the name of it. It's driving me nuts. I was, I was looking, yeah, it was, I was looking for it. Really? Which one? It was, it was related to a Charlotte Mason title. Um, I don't think it, and so it's, it's an older title and I went and looked because I was talking about it with a friend. This is like last year sometime. I was talking to a friend about it and about this particular uh, thing I'd been reading. And I went and looked at my Kindle and it wasn't there. And I went and looked on Amazon and it wasn't there. And they got rid of this title completely. And then there was another title that I had been interested in buying. And I had it set up because I knew it was extremely expensive on um, in a physical copy. It was, it was a, it's technically, it's called Monsters from the Id. And it's about Christian horror and just about horror in general. And I wanted to get it, but it's a textbook. So it's a very expensive book. And so I was going to get it in the digital version. And then it, I was, I had it ready, like in the queue, you know, like I was going to go get it and it disappeared. Well, Amazon got rid of the author. They, they stopped carrying him. Oh, wow. And, um, which I mean, I, there might've been some legitimate reasons behind some of it, but still the book was a legitimate book. Like it should have been left up there. It really bothered me that. I had it all ready to go on there. I was going to go get it. And then I went to look for it and it didn't exist anymore. Yeah. See, th th this is the biggest problem with eBooks is that you don't actually own them. You own yeah. a license to read them, which can be revoked at any time. Uh, you know, the author could get pulled or uh, a famous, I've mentioned this before, but I had uh, my entire eBook collection disappear because the bookseller went out of business. This was a um, eBook seller in the early 2000s. I had I had dozens of books on my Palm Pilot, <laughs> and so the the uh, I can't remember if it was the app or the store was called Palm Reader. You know that uh, is so new age, Zach. You're so yeah. old, Zach. <laughs> We're all so old. <laughs> and but you know, crucially, this was the um, th this book collection I had. This ebook collection had the entire Left Behind series, the first Christian books I ever read, and I was so oh, I was so distraught when this happened, and and. Uh, supposedly there was going to be a way to get them because they were being transferred to a big box uh, system, ebook system, not Amazon, but another one. 
and it just didn't work out. Like it, the licenses didn't carry over. So all those books gone. And a big problem here is DRM, digital rights management, basically copyright protection on eBooks. Um, what's interesting now is that a lot of publishers are actually selling their eBooks DRM free. And they're like, look, you know, they have this disclaimer, like, look, you know, piracy is bad. Don't put this online. We're trusting you with this so that you can keep a copy that don't abuse that trust. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's great. Uh, piracy is very bad. Uh, all I'm going to say here is if you can get a DRM free book legally, still paying the author, then you should, you should do that. And I, I'm not going to get into tutorials about how to DDRM your books. Uh, we're, we're not going to go there. <laughs> but I, I really hate DRM for this reason is that at any time I could lose access to all these hundreds of Kindle books that I've paid for. And so, yeah, that is to bring us back to our topic. That is why we're talking about having physical books, because that simply can't happen. I mean, unless uh, the country goes all Fahrenheit 451 on us, um, we're going to keep these books forever. But, uh, you know, Stephen, you mentioned the library earlier, the public library. So I'm going to push back on that. And I, I want to have a little debate here about the public library. Now, disclaimer, we have library cards. We go to the library. But here is what I want to push back on. Why should Christians depend on the state for the books that they want to read that, that, that are available at the, at the state's whims? That's a fair point. And I, I much prefer at this point uh, for Christians, at least as the first level of learning and research, a church library. Exactly. Like you and I talked about that in our previous episode about you know the possibility of maybe having a speculative role at certainly at a larger church called a story pastor, uh, and uh, some of our Lorehaven folks, including uh, Laura McCary, because like, I am well, one, just have a church library. <laughs> hey, hey, that's great. Like, so that's literally yeah, my volunteer position that? at church. Uh, have a library? <laughs> yes, you are one. Yes, okay, okay. So, so in that case, we just need to turn that over to you then. <laughs> so, should we not then? I mean, Zach, there's not much of a debate. I agree with you, but should we not then at least start? With the church library, at least if your church uh, has the resources to uh, to staff the the librarian and to organize the books, any thoughts there, Laura? Well, I think there's there's two things there. One, yes, we should try to patronize the the local library, partially because what gets checked out is what gets bought. So if you um, if you want to see change in your library and what gets purchased, then you need to be the person to go and get stuff. And so that's that's actually one reason why like I I very deliberately asked our library system here um, to buy my book. And they did because it's relatively inexpensive. So it wasn't that hard. I've I send in requests for purchases all the time. I'm I you I'm that person that they have the limit on. Like you can only <laughs> give me this many. Cause I I'm like lots of and yes. tons of Realm Makers books too. Like I do that all the time. I'll request, um, I actually just recently requested um, Be that person, gentle Nietzsche's listener. Books. So just to, that I thought they should buy it. So because what gets picked up and used is what gets bought. And that's, they buy more of that thing. That's, that's part of curation. Yeah. Um, so on one hand, yes, we should be using it. But on the other hand, um, librarians are the, one of the most liberal professions in the United States. And they are, and when I say that, I'd say that in specifically politically like progressive, left lean, yeah. le progressive yeah. left leaning. Yeah. And they are, they are openly so. Yeah. Like openly so. And, um, and that's, I don't think that any of them would argue with me about that. Like it's, right. it's vast majority of them. And so they are going to be purchasing. If you are a conservative, they are probably going to lean toward purchasing stuff that you don't want. 
And so there is a real genuine problem with that. I think, I mean, we see lots of evidence, but like as now me, I have now worked in church libraries in, is it three different ones? I'm a military spouse. We move. So um, I actually completely did a reset of our church library when we lived in Maryland and helped completely revamp it and make everything available on the internet. Uh, we we set it up so we actually had an online searchable website where you could awesome. go and look and see what was in our collection, and then it would and then you could reserve stuff. Um, whereas they didn't have that before. And there, that's the other thing I'm, I highly recommend if you have a small church and you know that you can't afford a big expensive, you know, because there's library uh, digital stuff is extremely expensive for the most part. Those those software packages are very expensive librarything.com is free and you can use it so but yeah but on but when you're talking about church libraries though the you control if you have a budget and whatever you control what it goes into that that church library and you control the content and i mean i can let my kids loose in our church library without worrying because i know everything go. in there is clean and everything in there is probably christian and our our librarian, um, our our head librarian at our church was a school librarian for many many years, and she's a very devout, lovely, holy lady. I'm just I'm like I want to be you someday, um, and she's very careful about what she purchases. See that that that's exactly the right way. Like build your own. Like if if you don't like the public library, yes, I think you're right, Laura. We need to request books, but. Hey, a lot of librarians turn down these books. Uh, I have some friends here yeah. locally that have tried this. They, they've tried to, they've requested a number of books that have been shot down and, and some others have gone through. And so this is always the, the problem is that it's not simply that a lot of librarians, I'm, I'm not saying all librarians, I, we happen to know Hashtag some great librarians. all librarians. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some librarians that they are, they're not simply bringing in books that agree with their leftist worldview. They are disallowing books that disagree with, with their worldview. So what you get on the shelves is a very narrow slice of the political spectrum, whereas as opposed to something more classically liberal, which is like, look, we're going to carry everything, anything our you know patrons want within reason, we're going to get it. Yes, this has created a problem for us, our family. When we go to the library, we're like, we're not really sure what to trust here. Like uh, Naomi has to spend some extra time kind of flipping through some of these books to go, what, you know, what is this? It looks okay, but Does she bring out her Sharpie, not for yeah. a library book. <laughs> yeah. That's a disadvantage yeah. of the Sharpie don't, don't approach. Do you can't yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a vandalism. But, and, and then beyond just the selection issue, there are, is the cultural issue that a lot of libraries are hosting events and, and pushing things and symbols and flags that a lot of Christians are not heard about this. Agree with. Yes. Yeah. It's, this is happening quite a bit. But beyond all of these issues, there is just the practical side of this. Whether it's a public library or a church library, you're going to have to wait for a book. You're going to have to drive there, and gas prices are very high right now. You're going to have to check it back in, so you're going to have to read it kind of fast. You can't make notes in it. If, if you are a note taker like myself, and disclaimer, I only mark up nonfiction books. I don't mark up fiction <laughs> books, but I, I know that's still an unforgivable sin to many. You're only half a monster. Yeah, only half. <laughs> Hybrid. And, you know, library books are often kind of worn. And uh, we've seen some really funny photos from uh, Steve Raza, who's a, a librarian in, in Realm Makers. And he's shown some crazy things people use as bookmarks. And I found some pretty crazy pictures. I found a picture of someone using a taco as a bookmark. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine how that wound up. 
So, uh, you know, there's some practical or logistical challenges with depending entirely on a library, church or state. So this is why I think we need to think about as Christians building our own home libraries that is open 24-7. You have immediate access to books. No, you know, no overdue fines, no limits, no uh, time limits either. But here's something else I want to talk about. This is kind of my, my next kind of subsection here. Having a physical library of books in your home is a subtle encouragement to your kids for what to spend time on. Yes. Before we get to that, uh, the preacher from Ecclesiastes once said that of the making of many books, there is no end. Uh, he was more negative about it, but we, of course, at Lorehaven are more positive about it, which brings us to our second sponsor for this episode. Again, the Realm Makers Conference, now less than one month away. If you're going, start freaking out. You're not ready. Just admit it. You're not ready, but we are ready at Lorehaven. This is the conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey, the 10th Realm Makers Conference of Christian Fantasy, Sci-Fi, and other creators. It's from July 21st through 23rd. You can go in person, as I am doing, representing Lorehaven, or you can attend online. This is the description for it. Are you excited to take the next step in your speculative fiction journey? It is not a trip to space or time travel. It's not forging your own sword. Instead, join us for Realm Makers 2022. It is, again, live in person and live online. So even if you can't travel, not sure what would prevent you from traveling, high gas prices, things of that nature. Even if you can't travel in person, you can still watch the teaching in real time because every class is live streamed. Either way, you can also connect on the Realm Sphere, a dedicated conference space in the online community. The conference this year is an amazing value because every attendee will get access of replays to every class available through the Realm Sphere. No matter how you attend, let's say you've made a story, you have continued to make books, you're building your own library of books you not only own but make. If you have a manuscript you think might be a great fit for a particular publisher, an agent, an editor, you can pitch them at Realm Makers. Hopefully some slots are still open even at this late date. You can still register for Realm Makers even at this date. You can go to our show notes for this episode, 117, or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. So I really like the aesthetics of the bookshelves that our Guild Heroes shared. And another one I want to highlight is Wise Path Books, where he has this really beautiful bookshelf. It's even got a ladder. I guess it's really tall. Uh, beautiful hardback classic books, but like reprinted in like premium leather. And then there's all these cool objects on his bookshelf. There's seashells, there's clocks, there's geodes, there's sculptures, and there's the great lighting system, you know, all of which really draws your eye. Like you just want to look at this beautiful bookshelf. And I think there is something absolutely powerful about that in a home with children is that if you have something beautiful, that, that people like to look at, you like to hang around it, you're going to be thinking about that bookshelf and those books. And you're going to, when it comes to free time and like you, you need to find a way to entertain yourself, that's going to be at the top of your mind. Like, oh, I'll just go get a book off the bookshelf. Um, so that's a big reason why we have one, why we have, we try to build a really beautiful bookshelf. And whereas our DVDs, our Nintendo games and other things are kind of stowed away in drawers, you know, we kind of want those out of sight. <laughs> Any kind of screen device is already like, you know, firing off all the, whatever it is, the, the, the serotonin, dopamine, yeah. the dopamine in your brain. Like there, there's all, there's always this dopamine cycle, you know, hitting you. It's, it's really hard to avoid, but so the best we could do is, is try to like 
put it kind of out of sight, out of mind as best we can. And, you know, we have certain time limits and things like that. But uh, studies have shown that just by having books, it's weird to explain, but it makes you more humble. Because when you have all these books you haven't read, then it's this constant reminder that you don't know everything. You know, it's a physical reminder of like, there are so many things I have not researched that I have not explored, uh, adventures I haven't gone on. Like, I, I don't know what I don't know. Having that on display kind of draws you in and kind of draws you away from all the, you know, kind of fast food entertainment that our culture promotes all the time. Zach, I can testify to the humbling effect of books in person. I can also testify to the fact that it is, in a sense, a testimony. I was talking earlier about how Christians are people of not only the capital B book, but also people who enjoy books. It's in our past. It's in our DNA. It's in our nature. Uh, we, uh, My wife and I, Lacey, have a, kind of a foster-type situation going on here. They're both over 18 now, uh, but they began to notice that, yes, as soon as we moved into the new house, uh, which they helped us do a couple of years ago, uh, one of the first things I really wanted to do was finally at last make a dedicated office space uh, with not just, you know, the nasty little uh, 80s brown bookshelves you get uh, 15th hand from Goodwill, <laughs> uh, but new shelves, you know, still particle board, but still looking nice from Ikea, the black ones, you know, with the fine grain and, you know, really adjustable everything. I've wanted those for a long time. And finally, I had the resources and time to set them up a couple of years ago. And so they began to notice, like, yes, it's not just all of Stephen's little geeky collectibles, uh, but also all of these books, you know, arranged with what I hope is some measure of care. And then uh, after that, when uh, Lacey's mom uh, sold her house and downsized, we got even more shelves, uh, some ones that we put downstairs. And so what do you know? More space for books. All the books could then come out of the boxes. And I believe the comment was made at one point wow, like that's a lot of books, like kind of negative, but kind of impressed at the same time. So I do want, I mean, even if we're doing just kind of a pre pre witnessing type thing here, I want that to get there. Like, yes, books are valuable. Yes, we have a TV. Yes, we have the PS5. Yes, we have games, but there are considerably fewer of those in plain sight. You know, the discs are in the drawers. Uh, the controllers, you know, aren't picked up as much as the, the books, and we certainly don't spend as much time in the TV living room as we do in the uh, office with all the books. Well, I, you know, I'm a homeschooling mom, and so I have all these books sitting around, and I've noticed, like, well, what we have, this is the thing. I'm a military spouse. We move every couple of years. And so the very first, I was going to ask you the about very that. first yeah. thing that movers say whenever they come in is, oh no, you have so many books. Like, every, <laughs> and they are heavy. They do. Yeah. And it's, Carry them I and weep. I think the last move we had, I think we had 40 book boxes. I may be wrong. It may have just been 37, but we, I know we have over a thousand books in our home and, and most of them are, well, we have a couple of different categories that we have a lot of. So we have a lot of kids books. We have, we're growing in the young adult category because my oldest is slowly getting to that point. And then we have a lot of history because my husband's a history buff. And we have a lot of uh, my like fantasy, sci-fi, all those classic stuff that I have kept. And it, you know, there's been a lot of people that in, in my, um, in my friendships that their fellow spouses that you know move a lot and they have gotten rid of almost everything they've done like the Marie oh. Kondo thing and they only have like 15 books and I'm like that is a mistake Boo. I will take 
I will, this is the thing. So when you are a military spouse and you are moving with the army, that you have a weight limit. And I am willing to sacrifice weight somewhere else to make sure I have enough weight for those that I don't have to pay extra. Or I'm willing to also pay extra for the books because I want to keep those physical books with us. Um, And because they're, one, they're beautiful decorating. Like they're, I have tons of, my husband really likes to collect um, older books. We have some really cool older books that we've liked to put out. And we have, I think we have at least six copies of Lord of the Rings. It it has to be that many. It's so many. Um, And some are very, very beautifully designed and like have his original drawings and stuff. I also have a lot of Michael Crichton that's like signed by him and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, I, Caleb likes to get me things like that for Christmas and birthday, but I wouldn't, I just am very careful. Like I, I pack those myself. I want to make sure those things are out there because when I was a kid, my mom had books all over the place too. And I remember when I was bored, I would go look at the bookshelf. I wasn't going to, we, we could watch TV and stuff, but we weren't supposed to until we'd done something else. And so I still remember I read the entire book about I Love Lucy, the TV series. My mom had this book about I Love Lucy. And I read through the whole thing, even though it's for adults. It was so interesting to me. And I was reading nonfiction, you know, and learning about the inner workings of a television show. And it's because my mom had the book lying around. And so I, that's one of the things I, I am very careful to with what I put on the shelf out there because I want them to, oh, I didn't know we had a book about, you know, I don't know, seashells or whatever. I'm going to pick that up and read it. I didn't know we had a book about magic. That's cool, mom. I'm going to learn magic tricks. And so that it's what, what you have available is what you get, what is part of how you learn. It's part of shaping a child's world. Yeah. And, and it becomes like a shorthand for conversations you have in your family and with your friends. It, it becomes the language that you use. Now I want to quote uh, Proverbs 13, 22. It says a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And so, you know, I, mean, I mentioned my grandfather having this awesome library that he's passed on to me that I'm passing on. Now I'm creating my own passing on my kids that I hope they will pass on to their kids. Like I'm not just holding on to these kids books that I hope they're going to read as adults, but they're, they're going to read to their kids one day. And, you know, I, it makes me so sad to hear about people that got rid of books uh, I, I assume it's like, oh, they read them and you know they don't want to read them again. I'm like, how can you not want to reread a book? Uh, now, yes, we, we're short on time, but C.S. Lewis talked about how you don't actually know a book until you've read it two or three times. You know, you, you've just kind of skimmed it really the first time and that you actually learn it after several readings. Uh, my 12-year-old has read her favorite uh, sci-fi Christian series, The Quest for Truth. She told me the other day she's read it six times <laughs> and this is wow. like a five book series, 300, 400 page books. Like she's read this whole thing like so many times and there, there's no way to do that if you get rid of them. Now, maybe, you know, who knows, maybe this, uh, this couple you talked about, maybe they got the digital versions and they're like, okay, nope. at least we have that. <laughs> uh, nope. Oh, they just got rid of their yeah. books. It was that's very a, upsetting. That's a, that's a knife to the heart. Well, I know it's a meme for a while to uh, disclaim the whole condo quote about, hey, get rid of anything that doesn't spark joy. Uh, for the Christian, joy is not just a spark. Joy is a pursuit. Go. It is a lifelong pursuit. Uh, joy in Christ, joy that comes from the Lord, the ultimate source and fulfillment of all joy. So 
if a Christian is in proper discipleship and in the gospel, then our capacity for joy should be widened, uh, not just in overtly spiritual tasks like prayer uh, and singing and worship and such, but it should filter down to all of life. Anything that is not sin should have uh, not just a spark of joy, but should be giving us more joy because we are seeing the world increasingly as God sees it, and God is full of joy. He is joy everlasting uh, in person. Uh, so that's that's another way I think. That, I, I mean, lots of people made fun of that quote. Uh, lots of people didn't like it. Uh, but I think the Christian approach is that from a little bit of a different vantage. Now, Laura, you mentioned earlier how studies have shown that you remember things better in a physical book than on a screen. And I I, I had read that and I kind of fought that for a long time. I'm like, oh, I still like my Kindle. But I think it's so true because a book is a 3D space, right? So it, it's front to back, top to bottom. And and it's a it's an object, and we remember things better that are in actual space time rather than just virtual, you know, metaverse or whatever. And so, and I, I think that's a little tragedy of when you get rid of a book, you're you're getting rid of your connection to those neurons in your brain. You're you're no longer able to go into that 3D world of that physical book and find that thing that you're trying to remember that you're trying to quote. Well, so, back when in college, when I would be thinking on, I remember sitting down, taking a test and knowing the page that the answer was on and not being able to remember quite what it was. Like I was like, right. oh, it's on. I know what page it's on. I can see it in my head. I know exactly where it is in the textbook. But I can't remember what it, what it was. And that's, you know, it's true. That's also true if you are talking about taking notes too. like physical. We There's so many people today that take notes by typing on a computer oh, because do. they can they can type <laughs> faster than they can write. And I that yeah. makes sense. I get it. But for me, I always handwrite my notes because there's a difference between you physically writing those letters yeah. than there is to typing them on a keyboard. Um, I, can, I can type far faster than I can write, but I learned a little bit of shorthand so that I could keep up with my thoughts in handwriting stuff. And it's, there's a different neural connection. I remember talking in, in biological psychology class about that, about the, there's a different neural connection between the, between a physical page and then, and a digital, like looking at a screen, there's a different uh, neural connection between you handwriting something in cursive or, or whatever versus typing on a computer. It's just a different animal. Well, let's move down to chapter two of this discussion. And we, we went very long on chapter one, but that's <laughs> fine. So chapter two is how do you fill and curate your home library? Where do you get these books? How do you organize them? Um, where do you get these books, Laura? And, uh, and how do you organize them? Uh, I like to look, well, there's a lot of different places. I go to um, a few homeschool conventions. I haven't gotten to go to a ton, but I do like to go there. There's usually at a homeschool convention, you you tend to see somebody sh showing up with a used bookstore where they, it's like a used bookstore actually puts a bunch of their books out for you mm. to look through. Um, when I went to the one up in Bre Greenville, South Carolina, not too long ago, there was a really, I wish I could, I wish I could have looked at it without my children because I, <laughs> I had to keep an eye on my four kids. And I was like, there's so many good books here. Um, <laughs> so I tend to, I tend to go to used bookstores first, uh, but I also, I've been making a concerted effort lately to look for Christian indie books that I love, like books that are, yeah. I mean, realm makers, um, you know, smaller that You're not going to find in bookstores or libraries. Yeah. 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 And so I've been making a concerted effort to like look for 
I mean, I've been trying to pick up some Enclave books on purpose uh, rather than just kind of stumbling into it. I have been trying to deliberately look for um, just titles that I think would be good for my kids that are not as easy to find. But I, I definitely prefer um, to go the used book route because it tends to be um, tends to be a little bit more a little bit easier. And I also don't feel yeah. bad if my kids mess them up. That's the other thing <laughs> there too. You go. I, I kind of, I actually want to kind of just speak to that really quick. It's There's this attitude, I think sometimes that books are, are like these hallowed things. And yes, they, yes, they are. Mm, yes. I mean, some of my books are like figures. that. They, yeah. they very much are precious gifts and I would never let anybody touch them, much less read them. And, you know, like I'm being very honest, I have, I have a couple of copies of Michael Crichton stuff that I'm like, nobody's ever touching that ever for any reason. But I also have normal paperback copies of those same books so I can reread them if I want to. And so I treat my children's books specifically as much as possible. I treat them as consumable because they're meant to be consumed. They, if, if my, you know, if we have a Berenstain Bear book and the, the cover gets torn off because it's been read 50,000 times, I'm not going to be upset about that. I'm just going to go get another copy yeah. and it'll be fine. So that, that's yeah, a good that's, attitude. That's I mean, why. I, I try to get hardback books in general, uh, just to, cause I, I know they'll last longer. Um, the example I've used a few times is the, the wheel of time. I grew up with the trade or sorry, the mass market paperbacks of so the small paperbacks. And these are 800 page books. So it's basically a cube. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those totally got worn out. So I eventually was like, you know what? I need to get the hardbacks cause they will actually last. But yes, I, I can't afford to buy new hardbacks. So I'm, I'm usually buying the used ones. I've in our town, we've got half price books and I've got all six locations kind of in my, uh, my mental GPS that I, I try to stop by as often as I can and that our budget allows. But you know what, once you get these books in your house, how do you guys organize them? Like just use the Dewey decimal system or, or, uh, or some other kind of, uh, method. Alphabetical by author last name as God intended. (laughs) (laughs) What about genre? Like for example, my shelves, I basically have a nonfiction end and a fiction end and the fiction is mostly sci-fi fantasy and such. Uh, there's, there's like a couple of shelves for books that I, I wouldn't say that they're Christian authors, but they're really, really good. And then interspersed all alongside are these uh, nerdy fandom shrines, at least the uh, the ones that I still like. I, I kind of keep, I have nonfiction and fiction separate um, and I actually keep them, well, okay, so I'll just, I have a a one bookshelf that is just for kids books that's mostly right now um, like actual chapter books. All of the shorter books are now in their rooms so that they can read for fun. But the, the so all of that, and it's, there's uh, nonfiction on the top and then fiction on the bottom. And I've kind of got them organized in a, and I don't, I don't really mess with the kids books being met, being by author last name because they're just going to get mixed up. So, cause they get moved so much, but on, and then the next one is my fiction section. All the fiction is author last name um, because I need to know where they are. And then the nonfiction, I have it set up where, we have one section that's like counseling and um, and theology, which is what my husband, I mean, he's a chaplain. That's what he needs. So he has a little, we have a section that's just counseling and theology and uh, philosophy textbooks, or not just textbooks, but just books. And then there's a history section that's all history and memoir. And then I have, 
I have like five science books that are just kind of around for some reason. Um, like Mary Roach. I love her stuff. And then the rest of it is uh, theological and doctrinal stuff. But okay, I have so you've, them, got, you've got categories. Yeah, I've got categories. Okay. Now, now do you have like yeah, a sign same, or anything same. that kind of demarcates the different sections or do you just, you just kind of know? No, which, I just know where, where they is. are. Caleb knows not to touch them unless he needs something. <laughs> <laughs> he just like, where does this one go? I'm like up there. Yeah. I, I've thought about making signs like that, but <laughs> I just haven't gotten around to it. But yes, I, I kind of have the same rule. <laughs> Naomi doesn't really know my system as well. So that's where I'm thinking. Maybe I need to make this a little more user-friendly. Well, what's kind of fun with the shelves, at least the, the ones that I have, is the areas that overlap. For example, I have a fairly significant collection by the humor writer Dave Barry, uh, one of my favorites. What are you, Dave? Are you, you nonfiction? Go. Are you fiction? A little bit of both. It's uh, it's comedy writing. You know, he he blends them. I mean, he was a humor columnist for a long time, and he's still writing books. I think his most recent one is about uh, Florida and how insane that state is. You know, a Florida man defends his <laughs> homeland, I think is the subtitle. I really enjoyed it, but okay, I just moved it from my nightstand to the shelf. Where do I put it with the other Dave Barry books? Well, it's going to be in the kind of the little shelf right in the middle. Like I, I don't want to get too uptight about the classification system such as it is, but it does help. I think aesthetically, like we were talking earlier about what this says to other members of your family, but I think it also has an aesthetic effect on yourself. Uh, it's almost like posture. Like people will talk about in church, how, no, it really does help if you kneel. It really does help if you're praying, you know, what your body posture is. It helps to be surrounded by books with the classification system and just says, this is who you are. You are a civilized person. You're an organized person. You know, this is what God made you to do, actually. Going back to Genesis 1 through 2, he gives Adam and Eve the task of sorting the animals, putting together a classification system, naming them. So it's not just books and culture that were made to make by God, uh, it's organization. So I, I, I find it's a great personal joy in not just reading books, but also organizing them and knowing where they are largely. Uh, it's honestly like my one system. little island of order in a very chaotic house because we things yes. move so much. Yes. Yeah. The it's laundry like may be a this, mess. But the books, books are in sorry, order sorry. and I know where they are and I don't have to worry about it. Like everything else may be a mess, but that's not. <laughs> so I, I've, there's a, a ton of these like, you know, D&D &D alignment charts uh, about all, all manner of things, this whole meme. And there's a bunch of these about, you know, how to organize your bookshelves. And I'll just pick one that I found here. So lawful good, organized by genre, then author. Uh, neutral good, uh, organized by your opinion Correct. of it. <laughs> chaotic good ask your books where they would like to go <laughs> that uh, that's some that's some kind of black magic oh, there violation better. of uh, 18. Yeah. lawful neutral is just a to z uh, no true neutral by room <laughs> this does not spark joy <laughs> uh chaotic neutral is and it's a picture of all the books but like horizontal so like you're just seeing you're like you're not even seeing the spines you're just seeing like stacks this is horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oh, it, it's horrible. Well, are the spines at least turned out? Nope. Because one of them has got to be the nope. one where you just turn the pages out yep. for aesthetic. Okay, effect. now yeah. now it gets better. Lawful evil is rainbow order. <laughs> like, yes. By, oh, by color. I have it. Yeah. I have yeah. an Instagram reel <laughs> oh, about this. Lord, another rainbow. I have an Instagram reel about how much <laughs> yes. I hate this. Oh my gosh. Yep. And then uh, <laughs> neutral evil is it's all brown books on a brown shelf with other brown decorations and like the initials of the couple J and L and other like little decorations. And it's like, 
Uh, it's truly neutral. The 1980s called. Uh, and then chaotic evil is by how much you want to read it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no. isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't that the truth? We all have our TBR to be red pile. And so, uh, so here's my question about that. Where do you put those books? Do you just keep them with, with the books that they go with, or do you have a special shelf just for your TBR pile? Yes, but not a special shelf. It's okay. the nightstand. And possibly the uh, related environs. Uh, I actually have been going through trying to like, I, I had a happy moment. I went to my nightstand pile and I realized, wait a minute, I've, I've read a few of these, including the aforementioned Dave Barry book about Florida. So I got to move those to the shelf and we've recently done a little reorganization just to kind of move some books to the downstairs shelf uh, and then clear out some room for the upstairs shelf, which is Lower Haven Grand Central. So yeah, basically. Yeah. The yes, nightstand. same. Very much the yeah. same. And I also have, we have a, uh, I have a bookshelf in our bedroom that is not organized because it's all the things that don't make sense anywhere else. And um, so I have one section, like there's, my book is on there that I wrote because I feel really weird about putting it out in the middle of everything for everybody else. That's just, that just seems really like full of yourself to me. <laughs> I'll put, I'll put it in a shadow <laughs> box I though. I, I, I still, I got a shadow box and I have my book and I need to put it in a shadow box, you know, hopefully the yeah. first of many, you know, that kind of thing, but I haven't done it yet. You know, it's been a couple of years since it came out. So maybe I'm still humble. I, I did a little thing just to, for aesthetics. I just got some simple, um, what do you call it? The bookends. And I stood up all the books on my bookshelf and on, or on my nightstand and on Naomi's nightstand. And then it just looks nice. It's they're almost like these invisible bookends. And so you just see the book standing up from a distance. Now I've run out of space for that. And I've now I've got also piles in front of that. So oh well. I tried. Okay, now here's another question. Do you populate your own library with books that you have obtained from neighborhood little free libraries? No. Uh, do, you, do, do you guys have little free libraries in your area? Do you know what I'm talking about? We had one down. There was one in Texas. When we lived in Texas, there was one at the uh, park and the books were always terrible. So I never got anything from there. <laughs> I put a few things in there. It was a matter of selection. Yeah. We have uh, probably a dozen in our neighborhood that people have just. So it for you, our listener, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Little Free Libraries is just this kind of trend in neighborhoods to put a little box of books on some kind of stand. And, you know, there's all these cute Etsy, Instagram-y kind of ways people do this. And uh, just right there by the curb and people can pick up books or leave books. And um, one of our neighbors that does this, she's regularly curating the books that are in there. Um, I think this is because uh, someone put some inappropriate books one time. And then all the neighbors started talking about this. They're like, okay, look. There's going to be adult books, but let's at least have an adult section and a kid's section. So that way the kids don't like, you know, get the adult, but, and I, and I mean adult in the, the bad sense of the word here. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a big scandal, but so, so for Laura, it was a problem of, of just selection. Steven, have you picked up any books from any, any little free libraries? Never. I have gazed at them and went, oh, as I drove past, <laughs> I never actually thought about going there. Maybe it's a, a marketing thing. I think, oh, good. Something for the kids. You know, hopefully there's nothing too offensive or antichrist in there. Uh, not that I would want to ban it. I would just, uh, you know, be opposing it from a distance. But no, I, I haven't thought about that. I've Again, the TBR uh, of books that I already <laughs> own is already too high. 
I haven't been to the library personally in a while just for that reason. Yeah. I mean, this has mostly been a thing I visited with my kids. Uh, we'd go on a little bike ride over there. We'd stop by on a, on a drive or something. So it, it's mostly for them. I, I guess, uh, you know, besides the experience question, there's kind of the ethical question. How long are you allowed to keep these books? They're from little free libraries. What do you guys think? Yeah. Speaking of chaotic. Yeah. yeah. I was, I don't know. I've never done it. I always kind of thought they were permanent that that you would take one and leave one. That was what Mm. I always was told originally, but I don't think, I think it's kind of changed a little bit over the years. So you have to Um, sort of pay your dues, uh, but otherwise you get to keep it. Yeah. I think, I think that's a pretty good rule because of our, our day job. We, we often get like theological evangelistic books and I have several copies of them. So Naomi has deposited several of those books in these little free libraries. There you go. There so, you go. It, well, maybe that's why Laura said that some of the books in them that she found were were not great. And if it's kind of more of a white elephant little free library <laughs> gift exchange, then that may explain uh, the problem. Yeah. There. yeah. Well, let's go to our, our third and final chapter. Why and how can you make your personal home library available to others? So turning your bookshelves into a lending library. So a couple reasons for why uh, the Bible commands generosity. It, it's not optional. Um, you know, Stephen, earlier you, you talked about how we, we don't want to do the Marie Kondo thing, but we also don't want to just hoard things and just own books for the sake of owning things and, you know, impressing others or ourselves or just because we're, uh, we're gluttonous. Uh, in Proverbs, it says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. You know, the, the Bible clearly says, be wary of the love of money, the, the love of things. And uh, a man's life does not uh, consist in his possessions. So watch out, <laughs> like watch out for greed. Like, so having a lending library is a hedge against greed. And we are, we are in a culture that is very materialistic, very greedy, very, very, um, you know, excessive in everything. And we don't even see that. And we, we have to take steps, I think, like proactive steps to push against that. It's one of the said seven deadly sins, right? Um, but here's another reason. Uh, by having a personal lending library, we are developing in-person networks of knowledge sharing. And I think this is really important right now because COVID has disconnected and kind of fractured our social, you know, our, our social fabric. I'm very wary. I've become more and more wary of big tech surveillance, capitalism, and all the ways that, you know, this is trying to control us. So I I think, you know, just having eBooks and uh, online conversations about all this stuff, I, I think it's very fraught with error. Uh, TikTok was in the news this week because of all these ways the Chinese government is directly spying on people through crazy ways that this app breaks through all the privacy settings on your phone. You know, I, I think we got to get off our screens and as much as I love tech and the internet, I think we need to get back to the sneaker net, you know, going in person to other people's houses in person. But also I think we should always be, you know, not to be a doomer or anything like that, but I think we have to prepare for any eventual potential persecution on Christians in this country. Um, in Roger's book, Live Not by Lies, he talks about this family, the Bendas, the Benda family that was in the um, the Soviet Union. And they had this great home library. Their kids read through all kinds of, their kids read through Tolkien and all kinds of classic works of literature. But also they were like a, uh, like an underground movement of knowledge and stories to others that wanted to resist communism and wanted to 
keep their kids from getting swept away and indoctrinated. And so I don't think something as crazy as that will happen here, but man, the, the cultural forces are, are moving very rapidly and very powerfully. So I think having these networks of others that are offline, uh, I think is a really good hedge against that. So what do you guys think? What are some other reasons before we get to the how, like why should we have a lending library? Well, when my husband was a pastor, I helped in the youth group. And um, I remember noticing that the girls in our youth group really just didn't have a lot of good choices to to read, and it really bothered me. And so one evening, I like I brought them all over to the parsonage and I said, "Hey, these are all good books. If you want to get one, you can have one. Like take it and like just bring it back to me by the end of the summer, because um, it was it was like the very beginning of the summer." And so. I think every single one of those girls picked up one of the books and oh, took awesome. them with them. And they weren't necessarily Christian books, but they were clean. And I knew that I didn't have to worry about them reading them. And I knew that they were going to be giving them, like, it's a good story with values that I agree with. And it's it's a good way. Several of those young ladies did not come from Christian homes at all. And so it was a way of discipling them without really doing it like, here, we're going to go do discipleship. It's like, here, read this good book. It's cool. And I've, I've definitely since then um, tried to cultivate an attitude of this is a resource God's given me to steward. And I tried, I have a, a very sweet friend recently. I had a book about um, post-traumatic stress and ways to overcome that because I've dealt with that myself. And I found out that she was, uh, had been diagnosed with that. And she was coming to visit just for something. And I, I gave her that book because I, I was finished with it. And I said, you know, I could, I, it could be a lending thing. Like I would, if she lived close to me, I would just like lend it to her. But I just decided, no, she needs this book and it's, and it's going to help her. And I'd rather she have it than me. So I've tried to cultivate an attitude of these don't really belong to me. They're a resource I've been given to steward. Yeah. And that's where it helps to have those digital audio and other collector's editions of these books that kind of give you that freedom to give it away. Now we, we shouldn't only give things away. We don't want or don't need or anything. I, I think sometimes we do have to sacrificially give books and it sounds like what you did there. And I've certainly lent books to others I never saw again, or I've borrowed books that I've never given back. That's the downside. Obviously I asked this question in another forum and People brought up, you know, because this is an honor system and you can't charge overdue fees, you have to trust the people. <laughs> and and I think this was a conversation in the guild that, you know, you might just start with one book at a time to people before you, uh, you know, kind of kind of test them out to see if they're going to treat your book with respect and return it eventually. <laughs> but, you know, by not having uh, checkout periods, you know, it may be a long time before you see that book back. So, yes, there is there's absolutely risk with doing this. But before we talk about how to share the books, or maybe this kind of goes hand in hand, how do you guys, do you guys catalog like the books that you have? Do you make any sort of, use an app or any sort of system to just keep a record of what you own? No, but that's a good idea. I I mean, I, I, I maintain, I guess I hadn't thought about it, uh, Zach, but I actually, I remember what I own. Like I couldn't give you a list on command, but if said, hey, do you own this? Do you own this? I could say yes, or I could say no and be accurate, you know, 98% of the time, uh, including, as you mentioned, uh, books that you borrowed from others that you never gave back. Uh, just uh, realize that this may be even more relevant this week when this episode comes out. But I would like to apologize to the facility formerly known as the <laughs> AA Pregnancy Resource Center in Lexington, <laughs> Kentucky, 
because in the mid 2000s, I borrowed some pro-life resources <laughs> from them while doing some volunteer work and I never returned <laughs> oh, them. No. I stole from the Pregnancy Resource Center. I think it's now called Assurance. I was just looking it up. It seems to be the uh, new name for that facility. God bless them. They seem to be doing good work. <laughs> One of these days, I might get back to you, these pro-life resources. But I've also, I mean, you know, I don't believe in karma, but it does circle around like, I've also loaned out books that I never got back. And, you know, I just had to be okay with that. Like, that's okay. I didn't, didn't need that uh, early edition of the Answers book from Answers in Genesis. I went and I got myself the new edition, now with uh, newer, more updated uh, creation science and apologetics arguments. So, you know, books can be replaced. Um, I think it's more part of yeah. building those relationships. And I actually might step back just a moment there, Zach, and realize that you might be listening to this here as I am with a bit of conviction, because before you start talking about libraries and cataloging and methods, uh, this is more of a posture of hospitality, biblical hospitality, which is a New Testament virtue, especially encouraged. Uh, and there's a really great book by Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with the House Key. Uh, it's been criticized some, uh, but even by me a little bit, because uh, she's a pastor's wife with a fascinating backstory coming out of feminism and lesbianism and all kinds of isms into biblical Christianity. But arguably, although she stays very busy as a homeschool mom, pastor's wife, you know, bread baking type, uh, she may arguably have some flexibility to be more hospitable and uh, be a keeper of the home full time and all of that. Um, it, it, it's a lot of work, but it does come with some uh, uh, flexibility there. But even though my wife and I both work full time, you know, she's working at home now. Uh, she's able to put together a garden and, you know, do some more domestic things. And I mean, I'm at home at least half of the week working on Lorehaven stuff. So increasingly we get to move in that direction. And so to talk of this is still a little bit convicting, although we're in the middle of it because we want to have not just a home library as a resource for people, should they choose, uh, but also the go. home as a resource for people. Uh, the girls now are constantly coming in and out with their friends and that's taken a bit of getting used to at least for me um and they're however they're not making a beeline for the bookshelves but they are being able to use other resources that we have even if it's just a place to chill uh hang out watch tv play games uh, visit with friends things like that yeah Stephen, a great bible verse that goes along with what you're talking about is luke 16 9 so jesus tells the parable of the shrewd manager and which is a fairly interesting story that he shared. This this could be an entire podcast. But at the end of it, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that, I mean, absolutely a biblical principle. Um, and there's a whole lot more to it than that. But yes, I, I think it's it's part of hospitality. It's not, we're not just talking about having a network of uh, underground secret books that we're sharing. So Mark Zuckerberg uh, won't get us in trouble with the government. We're, we're talking about, you know, a positive vision of building community, building relationships. You know, I've even heard people say, uh, don't lend books, give books. Uh, actually, that might have been a Star Trek quote, <laughs> believe it or not. But, you know, you shouldn't have the attitude even of seeing it again. And, and how are you even going to get it back? It's not like you're going to. Oh, that's it. also a biblical principle yeah. is that kind of excessive generosity, yeah. you know, loan without interest, uh, you know, loan without expecting it to come back. And if it does, yay, you know, you build a little trust there. Uh, but I think that that's the proper attitude to have, and not only because you want to support the author, you know, because now you get you know, two or three copies of the same book and give each one away. Uh, it's good to give books away to people, uh, particularly if you know it's really going to benefit that person. Yeah. Now here's where it gets tricky. Do you lend out a book you haven't read yet? No. 
Never. I would never. No. Okay, why not? Why do we feel so strongly about that? I answered without even thinking. Laura, what about you? I The reason why, I actually have a very good reason for this. So there was a book that I had started reading, and I let somebody else read it. I got the book back, and I realized it had content I would not want to share with anybody. Mm. Oh, is it heresy or just heresy. stripping or something? It was, <laughs> no, heresy. It was okay. something just really <laughs> stripping heresy. deeply disagreed with the author's conclusions. I've, I wow. really appreciated the entire book up to the last two chapters. And oh, those last wow. two chapters pretty much dismantled all the things that I agreed with. And I went, wow, okay, no. Um, no, I don't believe that the only valuable thing a woman can do is spend their time at home. Like, I think that it was, it was basically, it, it was yeah. coming from a very specific point of view. From mm-hmm. a very specific, uh, and I just remember thinking, "Wow, I I would not have thought that would be the end of this book." And I actually had I'd also had um, this made me very careful about I don't talk about books on social media until I finish them. Mm. Like that, I just, that's a good I just that's don't. a good principle. I I mean I'll sometimes share what I am currently reading in a book, but just to say, "Oh, I really like this quote." But uh, that is why I don't recommend a book I have not completed. That's, well, that, I that's think that's that's good. Now I'll just be honest. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, this is my flesh, okay? But I don't want to lend out a book that I haven't read because what if I never get it back and I never get a chance to read it? But you know, Stephen, it goes back to what you said. We have to have that excessive generosity. Like, be more generous than is necessary. You know, and and just have that attitude. Well, maybe I, maybe God gave me money to buy this book for that person. But I think you're right, Laura, that you risk like giving something out that may not reflect well on your values without realizing it. And that's that that's a danger. Well, tell us about library things. You mentioned that at the beginning. And so now let's get into the nuts and bolts here of how do you actually organize how do you digitally organize and share books in a in a kind of a digital lending system, obviously using physical books though. I have 1,190 books from 758 authors, and I have 57 separate tags that I use to organize them. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Beautiful numbers. That's <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so I, it's actually, I'm, I think I'm missing five or six books because my husband just went to something where he bought a bunch of books, so I may need to go and put those in. But um, librarything.com is a wonderful resource. It's free up to a certain number of books, I believe. And then you can pay like a one-time fee, I think. They may have changed the structure. It's been a little while since I've had to do this. This is, But I discovered this when I started working with that library in Maryland. Um, it's, there is a way to, uh, you, it, well, basically there's an app on your phone. It's an app on your phone and you can just scan it with your camera. You and, scan like the ISBN. Yeah, uh, and it'll automatically back, populate yeah. everything, and you can tell it which cover you want to put on there. Mm. Um, you can also, uh, one of the things that I did that was very helpful is I went through and deliberately scanned a bunch of covers of older books so that other people, when they use the app, they're like, oh, there's that's the cover I need, not this other cover. Oh, so, oh, so what, like it stores that in the cloud or something. Yeah, it'll it'll usually oh, automatically gosh. come up with whatever's the most recent Amazon cover is what you usually see, but you can you can change that. Um, and, and then you can also just type in the ISBN. Um, when I was, so the little library that I helped with, uh, we had about 2,000 books, I think, total. And one weekend, the three of us, the three ladies that were um, doing the most of it, we got out. I got my phone out. I got the other lady got hers 
set up and we scanned everything in the library to convert to this new system. Mm. And then we they the church pays a small fee uh, once a year to use Tiny Cat, which is this is for this is for a church like if I highly recommend this if to looking into this if you have a very small church that has a small budget, it's a lot cheaper and it's just as efficient as the fancy stuff. But basically, what it does is um, they have a little uh, little website that's just a search engine essentially of what they're what is in their library and then you um you sign in you get a little library card number type thing that's automatically set up for you and then it'll you can reserve books and then it'll send the librarian an email and she'll have it ready for you on sunday and so that was oh, a lovely wow. thing so yeah, th- it, this really is set up to be a yeah. li- a lending library app yeah okay you, th- you yeah, can th- you can use it that way you don't have uh-huh. to but I have, um, you don't have to use the tiny cat side of it. You can just do library okay. thing. And that's actually what I've done is when I have lent a book to somebody and I know that they're going to do that, I put it in there as lent out and then to who. So I can list it on there. Like I'm, I gave this to my friend. She'll give it back to me eventually. And that's, that's important because, you know, when you move, you, you might get to the end of the, you know, oh, we're about to PCS. Um, I don't remember who I gave that book to. I kind of want it back. I should ask. And then, then you can look it up. So okay, I highly recommend it. It's, it's a very simple system. It's very easy to use and it's very easy. To, you can do batch editing. So I can go through and just all of these books here are young adult. All of these books here are children and automatically tag all of them. It's very easy and very user-friendly. Now, are there any costs to use that, that app or that system? Uh, the app is free. I, I think that you have to pay a small amount over a certain number of books. Okay. And then what about as a user? Can you explain that again? How does like just a, a book borrower, how, how do they access the library that you set up for your home or your church or whatever? Well, for me, it's, there's a little website. It's just, it's like librarycat.org slash LIB. And then there's my username. And okay. Then, so they have to know that, that website. Yeah. So all, okay. I, but all I'd have to do is give it to them. It's very easy, and, mm-hmm. and I actually have one for my own home library, so that people can search it if they're curious. So it makes okay. it easy. It's called okay. McCary School for Gifted Youngsters. <laughs> very there nice. we go, <laughs> yes. yeah. Professor L. Well, um, I use a similar system, but now I'm I'm wondering if the one you use is a little bit better. I use an app called Book Buddy, and so very similar. It, it's a phone app. And I, I scan the uh, barcodes on my books and it, and it automatically finds, you know, everything about it. And, uh, but then I often recategorize things cause it'll, it'll put something as fiction and I'll be say, no, I want that as science fiction. Um, and, and so forth. Like you, you can easily like change or batch change even the books. Um, so I've got about 400 books in book buddy. Um, I'm still scanning books, believe it or not. And then sometimes it can't always find, um, the, the book, especially if it's a much older yeah. book or before that, I guess there was a time before ISBN numbers um, and then it searches library of Congress information, whatever. But um, it also has a similar checkout system where, uh, so I've got three books loaned out right now and I can, and I, I know exactly which ones and who I gave them to and when. And so that, that's really handy. Um, so I can always know where those books are. It's, it's free up to a certain number of books. And then after that, it's five bucks one time. And then as far as sharing the, um, the catalog, th- this is where BookBuddy is uh, honestly not as good as what you're describing with the library thing. 
Um, BookBuddy will create a private web page. Uh, it costs $2 a month for them to host this for you. And then you just send out this, it's just this weird link that you send out um, that people can scroll through. It's not very mobile friendly. This is what I don't like about it. And so people really have to look at this on a computer or a tablet. Um, maybe they're working on that. I've I've made suggestions to their developers. So if you're a BookBuddy developer, please, please update this and make it mobile friendly. I want to use this and I want to make it easy for my friends to uh, to use this. And also really what this needs is some kind of browsing function, right? So like if you are just a borrower, you're not using this as a as a home librarian, but you are just wanting to check out your friend's books. It really needs better like social networking. Um, and that's why a lot of people, uh, we, we've talked to Parker J. Cole, uh, part of our Lorehaven team, and also uh, one, of my per- one of my friends here in Austin. Uh, I know a lot of people just use Goodreads for this reason. You can do most of this with Goodreads. You can, you can scan in your books. Um, you can make shelves for them. Uh, you, can, you can share those shelves pretty easily online. Goodreads is a little bit outdated. It's, it's not as up-to-date as a lot of social media, and it seems most people kind of like that, kind of hate it. I don't know that you can check out books quite as easily with Goodreads, but you can certainly share your Goodreads library very, very easily. But I think between all these options, I, I think our listeners have, uh, have some good choices to check out. So librarything.com, uh, which is also an app. I was going to tell you, I just looked up, um, I, for personal accounts, the tiny cat is always free. So that, oh, okay. that, that website that you could go and somebody could search your books is always free for personal accounts only. And then if you have a small church, they have pricing up to a thousand items is $3 a month and up to 5,000 is $6 a month. So okay. it's, it's really reasonable. It's not a, not a difficult at all. And that's specifically for volunteer libraries only. So if your church is one of those that doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have staff they just have volunteers then that might be a really helpful option well i i really like how you said it sends an email and it's like hey i'd like to check out these books tomorrow and then they just get that and just set them out and that's that's fantastic that that makes that really really easy it's my favorite thing it's it's probably one of my best as far as ministry it was one of my best contributions i feel like to the ministry of a church ever because it cut their costs in half and it also upped their ability to minister so much. And it gave me such a wonderful option to be able to go, Hey, yeah, if you want to look through my book list, it's right there. There's my website. Now I definitely have to give a shout out to Naomi because she is in a network of uh, homeschool moms and they trade tons of books back and forth. Their kids just come over here and raid my kid's bookshelf and vice versa. We go to their houses, raid their shelves Somehow Naomi keeps really good track of this in her head. Uh, I'm terrible at keeping track of details like this, so I, I can't do that. But uh, somehow we get all our books back and we, we get all their books back as well. But uh, I think if you're looking for a, a system to organize this better, um, I think definitely check out Library Thing or BookBuddy and LibraryCat.org. So that's more the user side of this. Is that what I understand, yeah. Laura? Library, yeah, Library Cat is the, is the actual, like, the st- what you would think of as a storefront. Like the storefront, okay. Like for for the actual uh, stuff, for somebody to study your stuff. 
Well, I've really appreciated this discussion. Uh, lots of practical how-tos that I can put into a place in order to hopefully uh, be a little bit more hospitable, a little bit more open with the library of my books, which are, as of present, uh, just kind of sitting there, uh, particularly some of the nonfiction that I've read and appreciated and will refer to, but uh, maybe can be loaned out in order to help someone in their discipleship journey or just recreate as a Christian, enjoying the fiction and the nonfiction together. And I really especially appreciate the uh, the whys for this, like the purpose of books, the purpose of reading. It's a big idea here at Lorehaven, not just assuming, yay, books are great, you know, TV is awful, uh, but going back to the biblical purposes for these things. And Laura, I appreciate you joining us once again to explore these. Anybody uh, who wants to see Laura's work can go to Instagram.com slash Lorehaven Mag. Uh, Laura's in charge of that account and uh, increasingly coordinates our social media. Uh, but where else can people uh, follow your work, Laura? It's lgmccary.com is my website. I'm also on Facebook and under just look for LG McCary. Um, and also, if you are coming to Realm Makers this year, please come find me. I would love to talk to people and feature you on our Instagram, take some pictures with our fans. Um, I will definitely be running around like a golden retriever on Coke because I just absolutely love Realm Makers. So I'm looking forward to seeing our fans there, and I'm I'm hoping that we get some really hilarious reels out of it. We'll see. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to have a whole Lorehaven booth as per usual. I will be there. My wife will be there. Laura will be there. Lots of our Lorehaven team will be there. So definitely come meet us. Meanwhile, let's step over to the comm station. It's lit up with a few replies from podcast listeners, such as, once again, Brave Sir Robin, who bravely entered the Lorehaven Guild and replied to our episode 116. That was the one with Ethan Nunn talking about why homeschool families love fantasy and maybe even someday science fiction. Brave Sir Robin said, quote, I was beginning to think that science fiction was going to get short shrift in the podcast. I can't say where or when the breakout is going to come, but I wouldn't be surprised if it came out of the community of believers that grew up with modern communications technology and are as comfortable with biblical truth as these homeschooled youngsters. That's what Brave Sir Robin said, and I agree. Um, personally, I have already experienced the breakout. I like fantasy and sci-fi equally. Uh, we, Zach and I both write some science fiction as well, but uh, I would hope that Fantastical Truth has emphasized both of these subgenres within fantastical fiction. Uh, we want to emphasize both fantasy and sci-fi. Uh, we've had Carrie Neitz on a few times, but it is true. There's a lot more Christian fantasy authors as of this date. Uh, perhaps eventually that will change, but a lot of subgenres are difficult to pin down. Like you may have a book with spaceships, but it's actually a fantasy. It's just a fantasy with spaceships. Uh, and you may have a lot of different overlaps there. Yeah. It's funny that he would say this because, uh, Telecommunications engineering was my major, so I've, I've had a love of communications technology for pretty much my whole life. Uh, yeah, so I, I seek out science fiction as often as I can, and I, I love Christian science fiction, of course. So it's something I'm trying to pass on to my kids, and I think you know this is just the, the air they breathe is, is all of this, and it's just become so normal to them, and that's you know that's part of why they have. Uh, you know, email and Kindles and, and things like that from a very young age, because I want them to, to learn how to use all these tools responsibly as they grow up and as they are adults living in this world. Just to clarify, we're talking not about Christian science fiction, 
but Christian-made science fiction. <laughs> Very important difference there. We're not all up into cults or anything like that as much <laughs> as we can avoid it. So do share your thoughts about your own personal library, why you get your books together, how you put them together. Do you catalog them? Do you have a system in your head or on your device? Let us know. Do you loan out books? Do you ever see them again? Also let us know. Email podcast at lorehaven.com or you can find us on the socials. Tag us at lorehaven or use the feedback box on our website for the show notes for this episode. Yeah, and definitely send us your shelfies if you'd like to be possibly featured on our Instagram. We are always looking for fun pictures of awesome Christian-made fiction on a shelf. Amen to that. Next on Fantastical Truth, speaking of science fiction, here is a topic that we have been postponing, actually, for quite a while, and it is summarized by this simple question. If we as Christians believe that Jesus will come back to judge all people and rule this planet in person, what about any space travelers or planetary colonies at that time? In other words, if our Lord returns to Earth, what happens to people who aren't on Earth? We're going to explore these possible prophetic conundrums and speculate on some solutions in our next episode. Meanwhile, whether you have a space for a personal library, whether you have a church library, whether you frequent your public library, either way, I can't help but go eschatological again and look forward to the new heavens and new earth libraries. They're going to be epic. They're going to be amazing. I've no doubt that books and reading will survive Christ's return to earth, and we will be having even more of them forever and ever. And that's the future that we can anticipate as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>